Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, Friends the Reunion did the most talked about show of the year pass the test. Let's find out. The origin story of Cruella de Vil is the big new movie release of the week on Disney Plus and it gets the Mark Ryle treatment, as does the new Anthony Hopkins movie Elise. Plus comedian Edwin Salmon on his favourite movie. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5 p.m. on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6 p.m. right here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well and the weather is nice and sunny wherever you are as it was, where I was for most of the week. Anyway, you're not here for a weather report and you're not here for a health report from me. That said, I was in the hospital this week because I thought I'd broken my toe. Yeah, that's right. I hadn't. just had a really bad toe infection that was so sore I actually felt like I'd broken my toe. Anyway, you don't need to be a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. That all, ties all that together because it was Bob Dylan's 80th birthday anyway. So let's get down to business. And I should mention that at the time of talking to you now, it's looking likely that cinemas are going to open on the 7th of June. That's not confirmed, as I say, at the time of talking to you, but it's looking likely, which is wonderful. And I got my first provisional invite to a screening this week for the first time in, I can't remember when, last August maybe. So it's wonderful. It really is. So let's watch this space and hopefully we will all be back safely in the cinema soon. Now in TV this week, I was watching this. It was because I felt like the kind of person that if you gave everyone on earth a number at the deli counter, every single person, there wouldn't be one left for me. And I thought, Maybe somewhere in the farthest reaches of the universe, I would finally have a spot. I would finally be counted. Yes, now that's a clip from Solos, which launched last week on Amazon. And who you heard there was the great Helen Mirren, who's one of seven characters in this seven-episode series. She's in space. She's this woman who's realized she's kind of wasted her life to an extent or hasn't connected in a way she wanted. So she signs up for a space mission. As well as Helen Mirren, you have people like Anne Hathaway, Morgan Freeman, Constance Wu, Dan Stevens is in it as well. So great actors, all playing kind of solo, as the name implies, characters in a certain situation. A lot of them kind of future looking, kind of Black Mirror vibe about it. So Anthony Mackie, for instance, is meeting his clone who's going to replace him after he dies. Anne Hathaway is doing this time travel thing. So there's a spacey kind of vibe to them all or technology kind of vibe to them all. And they're all, all these characters in these different situations are dealing with, I suppose, isolation, loneliness, regret. It's superbly acted because you have all those actors in it. It just didn't quite hang together for me. Uh, I'm just not sure if the material was good enough. You kind of get the idea. They came up with this idea, you know, let's do a seven-parter with these great actors all alone in kind of spacey situations. But 
just the writing wasn't quite there. I wasn't dying to watch each one, even though the performances are good. I'm not sure if the juice was worth the squeeze, my friends. Let me know if you might have watched Solos on Amazon Prime. John underscore Fardy, or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. It's been out since last week. Now, one thing that I have absolutely been enjoying and telling anyone who listened to me to watch is a show I mentioned to you, I think about two weeks ago, called Mayor of Easttown, which is on Sky and it's available on demand. It's dropping every week. Kate Winslet plays a detective in a town in Pittsburgh, I think it is. Mayor, she is mayor as opposed to the mayor. She's a kind of down at heel detective, let's say, and there's two girls missing. Now, I told you two weeks ago it was brilliant. You should get on it. It wasn't what I was expecting. I thought it was going to be a procedural cop drama, and then it just was so much better than I thought. Well, if you have been following it, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, I second what I said two weeks ago to the power of 10, to the power of 100, because episode five turned this show from a really good show into, oh my God, essential viewing, maybe the best show of the year. If you've been watching Mayor of Easttown, it's dropping every week and you saw episode five, let alone episode six, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. So two weeks ago, I told you to watch Mayor of Easttown. I am now telling you with bells on to watch Mayor of Easttown. It is incredible. And then briefly also in TV, one of my favorite shows that was ever on Netflix was The Kaminsky Method. Regular listeners will know I've raved about this. Two series of it so far on Netflix where Michael Douglas plays an actor whose best acting days are possibly behind him. And now he's an acting coach who has kind of kids as he sees them in his acting class that he doesn't really care that much about uh, and he's a very complicated private life and he has a agent who's also his best friend played brilliantly by Alan Ark and Michael Douglas plays Kaminsky Sandy Kaminsky it's a very unvain performance he looks his age he looks wor- world weary and weather worn and he is brilliant in it as of the time of talking to you the third season just landed on Netflix that's Friday of this week the 28th of May. I haven't started it yet. I'm saving it for the weekend. It is beautifully made TV. I watched the trailer, so this isn't a spoiler. Alan Arkin's character is gone. He dies, and that's not a spoiler. It's out front. So I'm very curious to see where the show goes because that was really the linchpin of it. Kathleen Turner enters the scene playing Sandy's ex-wife who shows up. So... I'm very curious and excited to watch the third series of The Kaminsky Method, which is on Netflix from this Friday. Let me know if you've watched any of the third series or even any of the first two. You can get in touch with me, John underscore Farty, or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. Of course, that was the theme tune for Friends, which you'll probably be hearing on every radio station all week long. But hey, I love the obvious choices. So it was the big TV event, possibly of the year. Some people were even saying of the decade, 17 years later, the Friends cast reunited. It was on Thursday night. It's available now on Sky, on Now TV. What did you make of it? Let us know if you watched it. You can tweet me, John underscore Farty, or you can email me screen time at newstalk.com. 
Film.com. I'm delighted now to be joined by film critic and TV producer and general man about the movies, Gordon Hayden, to get his take on Friends the Reunion. Gordon, how are you? Good to speak to you again, John. You too. So listen, there was loads in this and we don't have a huge amount of time. Top level, mm. what did you make of it first? Well, I think like a lot of people, I was initially a bit... I was a bit disappointed by the fact that it was going to be mostly them kind of chatting about the past because I think an awful lot of the hardcore fans were hoping that this was going to be an episode, a, 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 an episode that's kind of catch up with a, a, a sort of a dramatic comedic episode as opposed to them sort of reliving their heyday because for over the years it had always been speculated when the TV series finished that they were going to make a movie of Friends and we'd yeah. see how everyone was getting on in their separate lives and them all coming together again or or like that, we would have this one-off special where we kind of catch up with them and, and how's life been for Chandler and Monica since they had the twins and did Phoebe ever go on to have kids with Paul Rudd's character yeah. and and did did uh, Rachel and Ross did they make it through marriage or did they could did they tie the knot so there was all of those um uh, questions that fans still had and kind of were hoping that we would get from this HBO Max special but it wasn't to happen because we did get the cast reuniting so it was an interesting mix John because they definitely try to kind of put in several different types of formats into the one show. Now, what I mean by that is, so you get the talking heads of um, celebrity fans um, in there. You've got the Friends cast re reminiscing about the past. And then you've got a, a bit of a clips show mixed in there as well because they're showing bloopers. And so some of it worked really well. And then other parts, you kind of felt like, are they just cramming this in now to kind of the running time um so there were times and also there was a talk show element really forgot that because you yeah. had james corden in there and then the thing a lot of people can set up and went james corden what the hell is he doing interviewing the friends cast now i did a bit of digging for you john and i think yeah. the reason he got the gig is because the director of this friends reunion his name is ben winston and Ben mm -hmm. Winston is one of the main directors on the on James Corden's Late Late Show. So I ah. reckon it was a case where Ben hired his old pal James. Yeah. So you had a lot going on in it, John. So I think for the hardcore diehard fans, it was nostalgia. It was sweet. It was nice. It was probably the television equivalent of a nice warm hug. But yeah. I do feel that there's others that would come away from it a little bit sniffy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, I was probably more with the, the warm bath of nostalgia. I just enjoyed seeing them all again. But I, I do get what you're saying. And I do think it could have done with significant trimming. Mm. Uh, and there was too many things going on. And just on James Corden, like, I don't know what you thought, but, you know, I like him in Gavin and Stacey and everywhere else. He kind of leaves me cold, to be honest. But I got the impression the actual cast weren't that into, they kind of wanted to talk to each other as opposed to him, I felt. Oh, you hit the nail on the head there. I don't know why they needed to have James Corden there because mm. the thing is, they the cast live up to the title of the show because they are all very close friends in real life. They've always gotten on very well. There's been no major fallout behind the scenes. And when we are introduced to them at the very beginning, it, it's almost like a big brother type of scenario yeah. where David Schwimmer's the first one onto the old set and he's kind of reliving the old sets going from room to room. And when they get together, they're, they're kind of playing off each other. They kind of nearly fall into the old rhythm that they yeah. had when they were first on the set. And you kind of feel like, I want to see more of that. And with the, 
I'm not going to say even with great respect to James Corden, but it's not like he's going to ever really probe them with any really <laughs> no. interesting questions. His level of questioning is so superficial. Like yeah. who had the best laugh? You know what I mean? Like no, it's it- kind of that level of questioning. So he didn't really do very, very much, but I think they needed threw him in there as some sort of glue that if the other segments weren't really working, we can always go back to James and maybe yeah. prod them. Now, the one thing maybe some would say is, well, hang on a second. He did get a little bit of information, which was probably the main talking point, which was in case the cast wouldn't bring it up. But the real big thing I came away from it, which you want you want to learn more about the dynamic behind the scenes, because this is obviously very curated. They're not going to give away the the scenario of what it was like when they had those big contentious contract uh, negotiations. Because no, you yes. might remember there was a big fallout there. They were all yeah. sticking to sticking together, going, if we don't get a million an episode, we're yeah. not signing up for a new series. But the one big thing that came out was that David Schwimmer and Jennifer Aniston really fancied each other yeah, on the I first Yeah, I think that series. was a big surprise for everyone watching. It was the Kylie, Jason, Donovan moment. Or, yeah. you know, I don't think anyone saw that coming. Now, I don't, I don't know what you think, but I'm not sure if Corden was the one who necessarily, like, I think they were always going to reveal that, don't you think? I would, this is the thing, because everything is so micromanaged as well. Yeah. And, and everyone knows going into it what is going to be revealed. I don't think there's going to be any curveballs, but there has to be, you got to give something from the past. So I'm I'm sure that that was well arranged that David Schwimmer and Jennifer Aniston were going to be happy to reveal that they did have this major crush on each other because they also said they were both in relationships at the time yeah. and so they didn't pursue it. That just makes you think that they were on the cusp of something happening. So what they did was they channeled that lust for each other through the characters of Ross and Rachel. So, because you could see there were some bits where they'd get they, the characters would have this big embrace and the camera would still linger and they were still holding each other. Yeah, and and yeah. you kind of kind of felt like there was there's a that level of closeness. Also, kind of what's interesting as well, I found as well, John, is the the dynamic between them all is that Schwimmer kind of felt like the unofficial leader of the pack. Yeah, that's a good point. That and Matt LeBlanc was kind of the joker. Yeah. And because you were kind of nearly expecting Matthew Perry to be the joker of the group. We can get into, there's been a lot of reaction to Matthew Perry as well in a sec. But yeah, but Matt LeBlanc definitely felt like the joker. Jennifer Aniston felt like, you know, she's kind of the sweetheart that will cry at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. Courtney Cox, a little bit steely. Yeah. You know, you know yeah, what I mean? You, you kind of felt like you wouldn't get on the wrong side for her, even though she kind of comes across warm. But I'd say she could be a bit of tough work. And then Lisa Kudrow, not too far a cry from uh, Phoebe, yeah, but again, definitely. very nice. There's a kind of a, just, just a little hint of ditziness there, but overall they're a tight bunch and yeah, you just want to hear them reliving the, the golden days and, and also how they're doing now. Yeah. And, and that's the big thing I think a lot of people felt was like, how have they been, how have they been fair enough? Because we've seen Courtney Cox now, she's definitely had a lot of work done. Have the rest of them done the same? <laughs> yeah. Now, I want to talk about the online reaction and, and what you noticed and what the general sense of it is. But just en route to that, the cameos, I, I'm wondering what you thought, because I'm a big Tom Selleck fan, a soft spot for Blue Bloods and even Magnum, if I'm honest. But I thought his cameo was utterly pointless. Uh, and and I, what did you think of the various cameos? I mean, the Lady Gaga one was pretty good, but... Yeah, the, uh, this is the thing. You're kind of... 
in the back of your mind going, they're going to definitely wheel out this person. And you almost forget as well with how old Tom Selleck is. Because when he came in, it felt like they'd someone just pushed him through the door. Yeah. He kind of kind of shuffled in and felt a little bit unsure. And I love Tom Selleck. Maybe I still have that image of him, you know, from Magnum and Three Men and a Baby and all yeah. of that. So, and he's a big, big man. But yet yeah, some of the, the, the appearances, you're so right, John, they were very underwhelming. Like when they did a Zoom link with Gunther, oh, it was gosh. so heavily edited. The yeah. poor man, I, I think they... Corden says to him, so how did it feel, you know, working with the cast, you know, in Central Park? And I think he was lucky if he managed to get out a sentence. Oh, yeah, it was great. It was the time of my life. Boom. That's it. Thanks very yeah. much. And I also thought what it was, oh, it was great to see Reese Witherspoon. Like, yeah. now her anecdote was great. I, we, we needed more of that. I did. Yeah. I wanted less Kit Harrington, David Beckham and yeah. Mindy Cap, uh, Kaling just talking about that them all nearly feeling like they're monikers. Who cares? I want to see, uh, hear more from the likes of Reese Witherspoon talking about becoming part of yeah. the Friends cast for a short period of time and what it was like coming face to face with Matt LeBlanc's Joey and him saying his, you know, his famous line, how you doing? And she kind of going, oh my God, this is amazing. You wanted more of that. And also I thought was, was very intriguing. The one of the big, big actors that was missing from Friends was Paul Rudd. Like yeah. I would have preferred to have had Paul Rudd be the James Corden, be the, the master of ceremonies. Yeah. I thought that, that would have been something. Work. Yeah. Maybe because maybe he's gone on to be one of the best out of the out of uh, the, those that have been too in big friends. for friends. You know, you're big when you're too big for friends. Listen, then finally, what's the reaction? I know it's hard to you know categorize the entire world's reaction to it, but what what have you noticed online about the reaction to it? Yeah, I think it's definitely split an awful lot of people. Um, there's been a lot of felt as a bit of bloatedness, but I think there's been a lot has been said about the. The, the the viewing of how these actors are now all this time later. Remember, it ran from 94 to 2004. As you mentioned at the top, John, 17 years later, we're catching up with them. Has time been good? David Schwimmer looked great, came across like, you know, he, no time had passed at all. Mm -hmm. Same with Lisa Kudrow to a degree. Matt LeBlanc, I haven't seen him on camera since uh, Top Gear, but that is a man who is definitely... Um, you know, he is wearing those stretchy pants these days. Like he is, I'm telling you, there is a man that is enjoying his dinner. Yeah. And uh, you know what he could do with a, a little bit of the bottle of uh, Just for Men as well. I don't know if the grey really suits him. Um, Courtney Cox, she's obviously been very, very open uh, about some of the, yeah. the, the plastic surgery she's had. She's even said she's not going down the filler route anymore, anything like that. You you kind of do feel like you, you just didn't need to go down that road. But anyway, that's just a personal thing. Um, Lisa Kudrow, they all kind of felt like those felt like they were, you know, they all looked like they were in a good place. And I think the person who didn't look like they were in a good place and kind of you were nearly worried for them was Matthew Perry. And there's been some nasty things said and um, about because it, it, we should also point out he has battled addiction problems for a yeah. long time. And that has never really been a secret whatsoever. But he did look like a very troubled soul within the mix. Well, everyone's happy and go lucky. He seemed very insular, seemed like he didn't want to be there. He seemed very unsure uh, of even nearly what to say at times. Yeah. He just he certainly let, seemed the least engaged. Very much so. And in his PR team, I don't know if you've seen this, John, but there was some stages where people cottoned on that he was kind of slurring his speech a little bit. Yeah. And um, his PR people have come out and said, well, uh, Matthew had um, some dental work that day. Yeah. And um, that was the reason behind his uh, slurred speech. And you kind of go, hang on a second, he had dental work that day. Granted, yeah. I know he's sporting the, the new veneers, but you think he couldn't have booked in those um, veneers yeah. maybe, I don't know, 
two or three weeks prior to this happening. Yeah. So you, that's a bit of a smokescreen there. So I think all in all, the one worrying uh, figure was Matthew Perry, unfortunately. Mm. And then just, you know, in conclusion, if you had to give it stars, then I'm a big man for getting a definitive number on these things. Overall, what would you say stars wise for the Friends uh, reunion? I would have give I would give it three. I know okay. now, now, here's the thing. I'm not a diehard fan. I, I really enjoyed episodes, um, but I wasn't besotted with it. But I thought there was too much going on. And really, they could have kept it simple. The table reads were great. Them on the sets was great. Them interacting with each other was great. But we didn't need a fashion show that yeah. saw Justin Bieber dressed up as a big potato. We didn't need that. We didn't need the James Corden bits yeah. whatsoever. And if you're going to involve um, any talking heads, have members of the cast there that and give them a little bit of breathing space as opposed to Kit Harrington from, from Game of Thrones talking about how yeah. he felt he was a Monica. That yeah. didn't work. No, well said. And listen, in the final 30 seconds that we have, as well as all the other things you do, Gordon, you have currently have a podcast called Scared Shitless, which is a horror movie podcast. Just quickly tell us what it's about and where people can find it. Yeah, if you're a horror movie fan, basically it's an interview with some of the, the iconic stars of the genre and we do deep dives into movies such as The Exorcist. I actually have a, a, a real piece, of, an interesting piece about The Exorcist with an actual exorcist. And we also kind of look at films like The Shining and some of the hidden meanings. There. So if you're a horror fan, we kind of just like lift the lid on some of your favorite horror movies. And that's available on all good podcast platforms, I'm assuming. Absolutely. Gordon Hayden, thank you very much. Thanks, John. Up next, Disney does Cruella. Screen Time on News Talk. Now you're listening to Screen Time, News Talks TV and movie show. We turn to this week's new releases. The big new release of the week is Cruella, a kind of origin story of Cruella de Vil, which is on Disney Plus premiere. You've got to pay a little extra from this Friday. That's the 28th of May. And also an unusual movie called Elise, which has Anthony Hopkins in it. More of that anon. Let's get to the main event. The resident critic on Screen Time. The resident critic in, in Ireland, really, I guess it's fair to say. International life it in the weeks to come mark ryle how are you what 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 <laughs> are you well yeah very well how are you good i'm well i'm well a few toe issues as i mentioned at the start of the show but listen <laughs> no one wants to hear about my maladies so cruella uh cruella. disney plus you got to pay 22 quid i think it's 21.95 for premier access just tell our listeners what's going on in cruella uh I, Tanya's Craig Gillespie, is directing this kind of prehistory of 101 Dalmatians villain, Cruella de Vil. Mm -hmm. It's also co-written by Tony McNamara, who wrote The Favourite for Yorgos Lanthimos. So the pedigree is fantastic. But then, on the other hand, it is another live-action remake from Disney, and their their past efforts have ranged between passable and god-awful, in my opinion. Um, I have to say, though, this one is exceptional. Um, it starts off in 1965 with this life-defining twist of fate that's kind of worthy of a, a Shakespearean tra tragedy where the 10-year-old the Estella, as she's called then, thinks that she is responsible for killing her mother. Then she runs off to London where she falls in with a pair of petty criminals. And fast forward 10, year, 10 years or so, and Estella grows up into Emma Stone. She lands her dream job at London's high-class Liberty Department store, where she comes to the attention of Emma Thompson's wealthy fashion designer, Baroness von Hellman, as in the mayonnaise. That's <laughs> it in a nutshell. Well, I'm really surprised to hear you say it was exceptional. Uh, why did you think it was exceptional? You didn't. 
I, well, we'll we'll get to that. I just I I was sitting there thinking. I wonder what marks. I mean, I think about you all the time. I, whether oh, I be on the toilet or um, eating um, a burrito, but I did think. Uh, I wonder what marks making of this. So you found it exceptional. Why I, so? I, it because it is exceptional. Like starting back with, I suppose, Alice in Wonderland, Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, yeah. in two thousand and ten. Disney started strip mining their heritage and their back catalogue for all it was worth. Mm-hmm. And it, it, the, the, the results have been kind of not what you would hope for. Um, but there is there's a creative inventiveness on display here. That's the, the polar opposite of every single one of those previous Disney recycling jobs, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the live action remakes or reimaginings or however you want to, uh, dress it up they're strip mining their history and um it, it would be fantastic now for once that if disney could come up with something original that stands on its own and doesn't rely on the past and of course i would have preferred this story to be completely unrelated to come back into the light <laughs> to 101 dalmatians you know or, or creola de Ville. but i have to say that it ties in so well with that character and that character's history that i really can't Bought it. I think it, this one really, really works. Then you like the the cast. Let's talk about the cast. It's incredible. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I I I was just surprised. By you. I thought it was really good as well. I mean, exceptional. I thought might be overstating it, but I but I did really enjoy it. And I was going to get to the cast because I know you probably want to talk about Emma Thompson, as do I. But before we get to her, Emma Stone is great as Cruella, who starts out as Estella, and her transformation is wonderful. Yeah, she is. She is very, very good. But then she always is. Yeah, she, yeah. I think Emma Stone could bottle charisma. Um, her English accent here, to my ear, is 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 good. And also, Stone has got this kind of husky quality to her voice that's perfect for the the this brand of of louche villainy that that Cruella is is selling. Mm-hmm. Then you've got Emma Thompson, who is just fantastic. And there's a kind of a competition going on between Emma Stone and Emma Thompson for who can be, you know, nastier. Um, the supporting cast is is really impressive as well. There's lots of faces that are recognizable from TV comedies like uh, Fleabag and Statlet's Flats. Um, and then, of course, Mark Strong, as I probably said before, he improves any movie he's in by a <laughs> factor of exactly 25%. He he does have his his... his part here is kind of small and underused but it, it, the fact remains that he kind of elevates everything that he's in yeah no i agree with all of that and emma thompson just a second what you're saying like she is deliciously villainess in this is villainess even an adjective i'm not sure but she does that villain what is it villainesque i make villainess yeah uh, but she is she just spits out words and phrases here she's delightfully horrible in it but emma stone is up to be equally of villainous nature uh she's brilliant in it as well and i agree the supporting guys what i also really liked about it was it's kind of punkish like she's coming up in a lift at one stage singing iggy pop uh mm. like they really paid a lot of attention to the detail and even though it's a pg-13 and i guess it's ostensibly a family movie yeah. you know it carries an adult along with or without kids it's kind of Derek jarman for kids <laughs> <laughs> not sure if i go that far but it's like yeah the soundtrack though it's it, the soundtrack is on point um mm. it's not the first movie to lift music from the 1970s but the, no, needle, no. the needle drops here are just brilliant you've got elo yeah. the clash the stooges and of course ken dodd yeah. um, 
I would have had a, a, a like I do have a slight issue with you know using sympathy for the devil. That's a bit on the nose, kind of like zombie showing up in Army of the Dead last week. It's a bit too obvious for you. It is a bit obvious, yeah. but the soundtrack is great. Um, it's a fantastic looking movie, movie and it's really, yeah. really the, the creativity is is on display. The costumes are incredible. There's a there's a at one point there's a dress. Emma Stone is wearing a dress made out of rubbish. And you could almost describe the dress as being a set piece in and of itself. Um, Jenny Bevan, the Oscar-winning uh, costume designer of uh, Mad Max Fury Road, she's responsible for the costumes, and they're they're absolutely incredible. Same with hair and makeup. There is a, there's a lot of love and care has been put into this, and you can you can see it all on screen. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad you're giving it such a positive review. I wasn't sure what you'd make of it. I, I don't know him at all, as Elaine Page once sang. But uh, I completely agree with everything you were saying. But here's here's the question. Mm. 21, the guts of 22 quid. Do you think it's worth it? I, ca- I can't say. Um, but oh, but I come, would... come, Mark, you must. I'm not going to tell you whether how much you should pay for a movie. I like. I will say that I would. I would quite happily watch this again. Um, mm. And I'm sure that there was loads of little jokes that I missed the first time around. So mm. I mean, it's like it's it's a great movie. I mean, it's up to it's up to you how much you you feel like paying for it. You know. Well, I was saying earlier in the week. You know, if you take two or three kids to the cinema and you buy the overpriced popcorn or what, you're up to fifty quid. So yeah. you know. Not that that many people know who I am, but whenever people talk to me about movies, one of the most recurring things is mothers and fathers asking for good family movies. Yeah. And, and there's actually a shortage of them. I mean, Mitchell's in the Machine this year was great. Ray and the Last Dragon. But I think this one is up there. And for any parent listening, wondering what they're going to show the kids this weekend or desperate for a new good movie that everyone can sit down and watch together. Although it's PG-13, so maybe don't have them too small. But, you know, for... Yeah. A 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old. And this is a great, great family movie. And there's plenty in there for for parents as well. You know, there's like, yeah. there's a, I'm not saying the humor is adult, but it's 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 more grown up than, it is a Disney movie, but at the same time, there's plenty of stuff there for, you know, parents. There is, absolutely. And I mean, if Iggy Pop is on the soundtrack, I mean, what, what more do you need? Uh, tell me this, what are you going to say stars-wise? Um, I'm giving it a four and I stand by wow. my my judgment that it, it, it's exceptional. Wow. Well, well, I'm going to give it three and a half just because I thought it was really good. I think it's worth 22 quid. I just, I guess I wasn't as blown away as, as you were, but uh, I'm delighted that you were, because usually this works in reverse. Usually I'm a little higher than you, you know, right. I don't mean figuratively or staturally. I just mean in terms of the stars we give, although there may be some truth in that as well, but I'm going to give it three and a half. Mark is giving it a four. It's Cruella on Disney plus at the moment. You do have to pay extra. It's premier access. Not entirely sure when it's coming to all Disney units, but I think it's worth 22 quid. Here's a quick clip. You know, I kept staring at you at the party and then it came to me. That's Estella from school. It's not Estella. That's the past. I'm Cruella. So you you go to parties and you take pictures and you print gossip. That's your job? Yes, well, not as fun as it sounds. Oh, it doesn't sound fun. It sounds useful. Oh. I'd like to start my own label. Why don't we work together to create some buzz for this old 
rag that you continually fill with that old hag. A clip there from Cruella, which is available on Disney Plus Premier Access as of this Friday, the 28th of May. Now, Mark, we talked for a good while about Cruella, and it's probably just as well because our second movie is Elise, and yep. I don't think we're going to talk about it for that long. That's oh, certainly my read on it. I could talk about this for hours. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> One you can't, but... Uh, okay, fair enough. This, this is... Yeah, this is, Elise is the first movie that's written and directed by Stella Hopkins. And I would be extremely surprised if it doesn't turn out to be the only movie written and directed by Stella Hopkins. And we should say she's the wife of Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, there's a Mrs. Merton joke in there. How did you manage to persuade your husband, uh, Anthony Hopkins, to appear in your movie? Um, the, the, it, the first half is in black and white and then the second half is in color. And uh, Lisa Pepper plays the title character. Mm-hmm. She floats through the black and white bits doing this pompous, flowery voiceover like she's advertising a perfume. Uh, pretension by Calvin Klein, maybe. Um, she, Elise, the character, she's an affluent woman living an affluent lifestyle in, an, in a very affluent house, but she's depressed. And I really don't want to make light of mental health issues, but after watching this, so was I. Um, her depression is the depression is used as a shorthand to excuse this inconsistent, nonsensical behavior that, in matter of fact, is just poor writing. Um, she goes off and sees the psychiatrist played by Anthony Hopkins and the session goes well. Then, of course, she goes home, gets drunk and has a complete mental breakdown. And she spends the second half of the movie in a catatonic state. And by some superhuman stretch of ineptitude, Lisa Pepper somehow manages to be not convincing while in a coma. She managed to act badly while in a catatonic state. Wow. I actually didn't think she acted that badly, but I agree with what... I'm not having that. Let me (laughs) park the truck for a second, because this is an important thing to say. I completely agree with you about not making light of mental health issues, but the tragedy of this movie is that maybe they set out to make a serious examination of, you know, someone in mental freefall who ends up in a catatonic state, but because the writing is so bad, it just falls all over the place. It really does. So, you know, you might salute the effort, but they really should have tried to write this a lot better. But I thought Lisa Pepper was one of the few things she was, she was okay at times in it, but I'm sensing you despised her performance. She's it's, it's shocking. I mean, it's, it really is hard to convey in a couple of minutes, how unbelievably bad this, this whole thing is, but it's honestly, and without exaggeration, one of the worst things that I've ever seen. Um, I think if you can imagine Tommy Wiseau somehow persuading Sir Anthony of Hopkins to show up in the room. That is kind of what the level of of this is. Um, It's kind of like watching Ian McKellen doing Hamlet with a cast of chimpanzees. Um, Across the board, it's just filled with these actors, with the exception of Hopkins, obviously. Um, But they have no aptitude for acting and they really don't have any business trying to act either. And that is compounded by this utterly shoddy direction and this arse-clenchingly awful dialogue. And then all of that is compounded further again by the fact that all of the actors appear not to have looked at the script. Nobody seems to know what they're saying or why they're saying it. And some of the dialogue here, it really reminded me of George Lucas attempting to write romance in Attack of the Clones. It is that bad. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, it's funny the, the the acting that I found the most offensive. Aaron Tucker plays uh, the husband, Elise's husband, yeah. and it, that was just like incredible. That was like a child role, yeah. You know, play a, a distressed husband whose wife is suffering. Like it, you, that was the most appalling. You have to see it to to believe it. I mean, the, yeah. whoever played the mother again was it's 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 bad acting on a biblical yeah. scale. I don't yeah. know how she managed to to say the word amateur with I think five syllables in it. I can't even begin <laughs> to, to to try and do it. But God, yeah, the the dialogue is just yeah. I, I, pizza so unhealthy, so greasy. That's just one of the, the one of the ones that I jotted down. There's there's so oh it's. There's all uh, like there's a, another one. I hate crying. So silly to cry. That's a beautiful tie. I love that color, burgundy red. Now Lisa Pepper delivers that line while she's not actually crying. <laughs> it's just bizarre. And then a, another point, I think Anthony Hopkins. He's in a, a consultation, and he takes his phone out and he starts like answering a phone call, and it's something along the lines of, "Yeah, okay, next Monday." Thanks, bye. And then he goes on. And I was like, is this in the movie or did Anthony Hopkins just <laughs> answer his phone? I mean, it's it's something else. Yeah. No, look, it's it, it's it's a bit of a mess uh, or a big mess, it has to be said. If you are interested, it's available on video on demand platforms from next Monday, the 31st of May. Mark is definitely saying no. I am as well. What would you say stars wise? Uh, look, I've already given this my time and that's more than enough. Okay, wow, that kind of means zero. I'll give it one because I don't know if I can ever give a movie a zero. It's pretty poor though, but Mark, you're far from poor. Thank you very much. Thanks, John. Up next, comedian Edwin Salmon on his favourite movie. Screen Time on News Talk. Now you're listening to Screen Time News Talk's TV and movie show. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone well-known about their favourite movie. Edwin Salmon is a comedian, probably best known as Father Gabriel from Bridget and Eamon. Previous stand-up shows have included as much talked about Edward Salmon versus cancer. I'm delighted to say he joins me now to chat about his favourite movie. Edwin, how are you? I'm good, John. How are you? Not too bad at all. So listen, your favourite movie, you know, it's it's up yeah. there with my top three certainly top five movies of all time one or two people have chosen it over the few years i've been doing this show tell our listeners what you've opted for as your favorite film if you will yes i have chosen uh goodfellas case closed yeah <laughs> you Goodbye. can go <laughs> it's it's probably not the most uh, original choice actually when i was talking to my younger brother the other day and said i had to choose my favorite movie and he said goodfellas and i went yeah um, I think my second choice would be Planet of the Apes, the original Planet of mm-hmm. the Apes, but that's more influential than on me than my favorite film of all time. Yeah. So why is Goodfellas your favorite film? Well, I think when I'm trying to pick a favorite movie, I'm trying to think of something that I've watched a lot and also something that if it's on TV, no matter where it is, you know, if it, it, well, no matter what scene it is, I'm just going to stick with it and watch the whole movie. Mm. It's one of those kind of irresistible movies. Even if you've, you know, if it's a half an hour in, you're going, oh, yeah, yeah, this scene. Yeah. And then that leads into the next scene and you're going, oh, yeah, this scene's very funny. And I love this scene where she's, uh, you know, pointing the gun at him and he's trying to talk her down. That's kind of like um, something to, to uh, 
admire because uh, it's it's probably difficult to talk someone down from shooting in the face. So you know, it, it gives you kind of life advice, I suppose. Uh, but it's very funny and it's very dramatic and it's got great uh, music in it. I don't know, there's like maybe 40, 50 songs. Yeah. Like little bits and pieces of songs in it. Great soundtrack, great performances. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of got a little bit of, of everything. I, I, I saw it a few years ago. Now I say a few years ago, I saw it about 10 years ago or so. In the Savoy, the Savoy were doing these sort of showing old classic movies. And I went with a couple of friends of mine, one of whom had never seen it. Mm. So she was like completely blown away. But the amazing thing was that you're in a room and it's sold out screen one in the Savoy on O'Connell Street. And everyone's laughing at the at the right times and everyone's completely uh, hushed you know, reverent tone for mm. uh, other parts of it. But, you know, like, I mean, to be in a cinema and hear everyone laugh when De Niro says, the hoof, um, which makes me, which makes me laugh every time as well. That whole scene is so beautifully sort of, it, it feels like it's, it's improvised and it's, it's probably only semi-improvised, but mm. just the way, the way De Niro says the hoof is like, to me, that's his best ever acting, I think. In Goodfellas? In anything. I think just yeah. him, you know, he's like, he's chewing his food. He, he's thinking about it. Because I've rewatched it so many times. And then when I watch scenes, I just watch a certain actor mm-hmm. to see, you know, uh, what he's doing in the scene. And you can you can tell he knows the name of the, they're all trying to get it. It's like the foot, the claw or whatever. Yeah. And he's thinking it. And it's like, he's going to say it now. Here he goes. The hoof, and every time, it's just brilliant. And, you know, there's probably not that many people listening to this show who've never seen Goodfellas. I'm assuming that, because a pretty cinema literate audience I have. But just briefly, you might remind people what the nuts and the bolts of the story is. Harry Hill is who, exactly? Henry Uh, Hill. Sorry, Harry Hill's a comedian. No, it would be a very, very different movie (laughs) if Harry Hill was in it. It would be him and a bunch of stuffed bears yeah uh, robbing an airport uh in a wacky way it's basically <laughs> uh you know 30 years of life in the mafia mm-hmm. and it's that kind of sweet spot of there's been enough time has passed since the the godfather the godfather is much more i mean that's about the 1940s this is about the sort of 60s to mm-hmm. the 80s i think is the kind of time span of it yeah so it's yeah told from the perspective of Henry Hill, who gets into the mafia, he's not like he can never be a made man because he's uh, he's not fully Italian, and that's the kind of rules of it. But it's like a, it's the 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 rise and fall of life in the mafia, yeah. and I think for some people when they see it, especially the last sort of forty five minutes when it all kind of goes to to poo, and the cocaine use becomes a bit too much, it's pretty relentless yeah and then it ends almost in a kind of a you know the last the last five minutes are kind of crazy and it ends and your your head is kind of spinning i think the first time you see it and i i know some people the first time they see it it's like it's a bit the, the end of it is a bit too much yeah but for me i haven't watched it a bunch of times i just kind of i just kind of uh sit back and admire it but it does you know it does break the fourth wall and mm-hmm. 
there's wonderful use of voiceover. Yeah. And it even kind of breaks the rules of voiceover where, you know, at a certain point, Lorraine Bracco's character takes over the voiceover. Yeah. And these were all kind of, um, str I guess, kind of strange things at the time that wasn't kind of typical of your typical movie. But it's a kind of like a, it's the sort of the Rolling Stones uh, to the Beatles' um, Godfather is kind of it's more of a wow. rock and, more of a rock and roll gangster movie. That's that's yeah. a very good summation of it, actually. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> well done. Points acquired. I thought, well, I thought it in my head, and I was like, "Does that sound good?" <laughs> it sounds great. It sounds great. You won me over. Well, listen. The point of this slot is that you might, you know, encourage people to rewatch it and stuff. And and I, I yeah. actually feel like watching it now, even though I've probably seen it as many times as you have, because I do adore also. But that is uh, wonderfully described and discussed. Let me ask you just a few career things in terms of you getting into stand up, Edwin. The story, yeah. as I understand it, and I mentioned you did this show about cancer, is that you were tipping around at comedy and, yeah. you know, you had a, a regular day job and then you, you, you got sick, you had cancer. And in your recovery, you were kind of galvanized into saying by virtue of that, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try and actually make a living as a stand up. Is that accurate? Yeah, pretty much. I was working in uh, a DIY store, kind of on and off, part-time, full-time for about 10 years. So I kind of always had that sort of base of uh, of wage, I suppose. Mm. And then I went, uh, yeah, I got sick and decided I wasn't going to go back to retail. And I was like, I'll try my hand at comedy. And that was pretty scary. Uh, yeah you know, you're, you're making a leap, you're becoming self-employed and I have a tendency to go very easy on myself because I'm my own boss. You know, I'll wake up in the morning and go, you know, can I have a lie in? And I'll go, yeah, sure. Um, thanks boss. But luckily enough, uh, well, not luckily enough, it, it was all kind of due to Republic of Telly on Republic of Telly. I'd played uh, a, a priest character a couple of times and I'd kind of stayed in character in between uh, takes. Um, so when they were writing Bridget name and they kind of wrote the part for me yeah. uh, of Father Gabriel, and that kind of gave me a, a lot more exposure and kind of helped me help me get gigs and, you know, they could put my name on the poster as seen on TV. Yes, indeed. Watch. <laughs> um, and the Father Gabriel character, not to jump ahead, but on yeah. Republic Television, that morphed into a character on Bridget and Eamon. Like the character in Bridget and Eamon, it, it, it was probably more than you expected because I, I imagine you probably thought it was going to be a cameo of sorts, but then you yeah. were a show, a show regular. I thought it was going to be like a one episode deal. I'd have a couple of scenes where, you know, their six to eight kids were making their communions and confirmations at the same time. And, you know, some, <laughs> some kind of, some kind of wacky hijinks. Um, but then, yeah, I got, I got the, the, the scripts and I was like, all right, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in all of these. Um, yeah. I'm like Bridget's best friend. Uh, so yeah, so it was, it was nice to, I mean, it was just good fun to do those things like, you know, long days and, and hard work, but, uh, the sort of thing you don't, you don't mind getting up for in the morning. Yeah, um, absolutely. But, uh, I suppose it's been a while since I've done stand up at all now, which is uh, kind of depressing, but it's good to see that it's 
that it's coming back and there's a real hunger and a thirst for it, it seems, because people yes. are, are, are putting up gigs and they're selling out pretty quick. Yeah. Well, I wanted I want to ask you about that just in closing. But before I do, t- yeah. two quick things, because I, I want to know how you've been spending lockdown. But just I kind of cut across you in a way when you were talking about getting into stand up following your illness. In terms of your health now, or I, I should ask, are you are you back to full bloom? I know yeah, it was a long yeah. time ago. So all is well there, though. Yeah. I mean, I, I had the sort of regular six month checkups and uh, regular colonoscopies because I had bowel sure. cancer. So yeah. that's fun. Um, but uh, everything's fine. And I mean, for, for all intents and purposes, I'm, they don't use the the word cured. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's no trace of it. So I just have to, you know, you just get checked up every, every year as everyone should really. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. And listen, en route to what you're doing now and how lockdown's been done for you, uh, eagle eyed viewers of RTE will have seen you on first dates. Yes. last year uh, and i was only watching it yesterday and you came across very well on it but it it i suppose it seemed odd why is this comedian going on first date so <laughs> yeah. why did you do it edwin <laughs> <laughs> well uh a, a friend of mine um her mother is a producer on it so mm-hmm. she she was asking she was kind of just poking around saying well would you be interested in going on and i had been asked before for the previous season but i said no because going on a date is nerve wracking enough without cameras being there. Yeah. And because it's a TV show, people don't realize this, but when they shoot it, um, there's no music in the restaurant. Uh, because they, you know, they add the yeah, bloop, yeah. bloop, 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 bloop uh, afterwards. So that makes it even more nerve wracking. Um, and uh, yeah, and it, I, I shot it in the previous August. I actually flew back from Edinburgh back in the days when I had a jet setting lifestyle. <laughs> Uh, to shoot it and then by the time it went on tv i had met someone else Ah. and we were going out um so we watched it together over in my friend's house and got you and your new you and your new girlfriend uh well now fiance oh well congratulations Um, thank you and actually in a week's time i thought well uh probably less from when this is going out um we're having a baby. We're having a baby boy. Oh, well, congratulations. Uh, so another lockdown baby. Yeah. Uh, lots well, of look, people are having them. <laughs> I, you know, the date went well. So I was going to ask, how did it all turn out? But I mean, <laughs> clearly well, not well, that no, well no, initially the, the, because you're now in a different relationship, yeah. which is great. And congratulations again. But uh, the, the first date, the first date date was, was, uh, was, was okay, but there was no spark there. And then, right. but uh, yeah, but the, the first date with Cara was um, much more successful. Wow, and that that's great though. You you know you get down to watch a different date on TV with your current girlfriend now fiance. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. that doesn't happen to many people, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe feel like a real player. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a busy time for you then. New baby, yeah. and what's the due date on that, Edmund? It sorry, date? when's the baby due? <laughs> The baby, <laughs> the baby is due on the second of June. Okay, wow. Well, um, it's lucky I caught you when yeah. I did. Finally, then. So I've talked to a couple of comedians in this slot during lockdown. So you know, it's been really tough. If you, as mm. you mentioned, not being on the stage, I had uh, Kevin Gildee a couple of weeks ago who opened oh, yeah. a bookshop during yes. lockdown. I, I I've spoken yeah. to. 
I've spoke to Colin Murphy, who talked about watching lots of movies during lockdown, all sorts of different yeah. things. Uh, Neil Delamere, you know, you've all done different things to keep your sanity. So it's been tough. What have you been up to? Yeah, I've, because I haven't been able to perform. I mean, I started doing my own podcast. I had done a number of podcasts before, but my own kind of solo podcast to sort of um, document the year. <laughs> Um, and so I have to keep that up because, um, uh, you know, some people are listening to it. Um, that's Edwin Salmon of Knowledge podcast. Yes. A plug for you. But no I also problem. started writing a book and a couple of a couple of scripts, a couple of comedy scripts for, for TV and or streaming, because that's the way things are going now. Yeah. So I'm about halfway through the first draft of my book, which is a sort of a, a kind of a memoir slash how to survive cancer slash how i became a comedian kind of thing great um so it's it's ever expanding and as my when my child is born he'll probably make an appearance in the book as well at some yes. point yes that would be life, life doesn't stop that's the thing i can't <laughs> i can't finish the book because life keeps going yes yes no that, hopefully that's i'll get it done that's a good point. Yes. Well, listen, and then hopefully return to the stage as well at some stage. Yeah, yeah. I'm planning on on doing a few gigs in Dublin, uh, probably September. So, mm -hmm. yeah, watch this space. Indeed, watch this space. Well, his favorite movie is Goodfellas. Edwin Salmon, you can hear more on his podcast, Salmon of Knowledge. Uh, he and his current fiance are due a baby very shortly. So hopefully you'll see him. Uh, on a stage soon. Edward Salmon, thanks a million. Thank you, John. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Even before I first wandered into the cab stand for an after-school job, I knew I wanted to be a part of them. It was there that I knew that I belonged. And to me, it meant being somebody in a neighborhood that was full of nobodies. They weren't like anybody else. I mean, they did whatever they wanted. They double-parked in front of a hydrant and nobody ever gave them a ticket. In the summer, when they played cards all night, nobody ever called the cops. Must die the unmistakable sound of Goodfellas there and Ray Liotta. And my thanks to Edwin Salmon, who chose Goodfellas as his favourite movie. Busy time ahead for Edwin. And uh, hope all goes well for him. That's it for this week. My thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out on the show this week, as she does every week. I'll just remind you, this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5 p.m. on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app, powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6 p.m. right here on Newstalk. I'm open all week long on Twitter, John underscore 40. Or you can email us at any stage, screentime at Newstalk.com. Good weekend to you all. Hope you enjoy the sunshine that appears to be coming all our ways. Take care.